Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And I see that they can't see very clearly. So the crying, the weeping, the non-focusing. I thought the whole idea of Jesus asking these questions. Some of you on the outside of the faith might say, well, if he's God, you should have already known all of that stuff. Well, he is God and he did know that. So he asked questions. Now, what you might find very interesting, if you want to do this, go back in Scripture and find out how many times the Lord, Jehovah, God, and Jesus would be asking questions to people that he already knew the answer. But he did that to cause these people to have to answer that question to go a little bit deeper into who they are so they don't just be low-information people. Let me go over just a few. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Do you remember when um, Adam and Eve um, fell in the garden? And what did the Lord ask? Where are you? Was it the Lord says, where'd you go, you little bug? You running a rock? He wasn't like that. He knew. How about another time when he asked them where they were and what they did? What happened to them? What was going on? I like when he was quizzing the disciples and he said, guys, 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 who do you think I am? He knew who he was, obviously. But he was getting them to go a little bit deeper than the surface level of information. And then how about the blind men? And he looked at these guys when they were yelling out for help to Jesus. He said, what do you want me to do? If anybody that would know what these men needed, it would be Jesus. And what to do, it'd be Jesus. But he asked the question, what do you want me to do? So when he asked the question, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Who do you really seek? So maybe it'd be good occasional times to ask yourself some questions. Why am I weeping? Why do I really feel down? Why am I discouraged? Why am I still having questions about who God is? How do I know the Bible's inspired? Why am I still having problems in my marriage? Instead of shifting blame and instead of everybody else has to defend the situation, pause for a moment and just allow the Lord to ask you the kind of questions that you need to ask and answer yourself to get you to go a little bit deeper and to come to the very truth of the matter. Where are you to get Adam and Eve to be confronted with their own sin? Who do you say that I am? You are the living Son of God getting them to now go public with what they sorted out in their mind. So whom do you seek? You might be thinking about that. I think about that crying in Martin Luther, the founder of, one of the founders of the Reformation. Um, if anybody would know theology, it would be Martin Luther. I, I enjoy reading him. Don't always agree with everything. He probably don't agree with everything me either, but he's a great guy. One time he was depressed over something and when I was doing this study I couldn't find out what he was depressed about except he was so depressed he was like Mr. Grumpy around the house for a while. Depressed, 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 depressed. So his wife came down one day and she was wearing all black for a funeral. And so as she came down, Martin was trying to figure out what, what, who died. And he forgot who died. And he didn't know why. Maybe I should be ready. So he said, who, who died? And she said, God died. And he went ballistic with her. What do you mean, God? You should know better. I've been teaching. That's what the article said. And then she said, well, the way you've been acting, you're acting as if God really died. Is that really true? 
And so some of you that might feel these points in your life, that you're now going into these fits of issues, maybe the question is, did God die? And I, headwise, no, he hasn't died, but now we move to the heart and say, well, if he hadn't really died, then why is his heart here so devastated? Maybe he hasn't died, but maybe some of your faith is a little fragile. Okay, why is your faith a little fragile? And maybe it's because we've gotten too much immersed in the world and not enough into his word. I, I don't know, but dig deeper on those questions of why those things seem to happen. Well, let's go to the third. We move from the, the evidence for the mind to answers for the heart, but we also need a relationship with our soul because we can have the evidences given to us and there could be a myriad of evidences and we could spend days, weeks, months, years trying to not apologize for the Lord but to apologize God, give apologetics and truth to answer your questions and it'll never happen. I, I, hope, I hope you will trust Christ. There is that element of faith. And then some of you with your heart, you finally are getting your questions answered Okay, now I get it. I, I figured this all out. Yep, you're right. I, I see all that. But you haven't fully yet engaged Christ by faith alone. Look at this passage again. Let's go back to it. See where I left off and pick up what happens next, okay? So, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away the Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she said this, she saw Jesus standing there, didn't know it was Jesus, and he asked, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? supposing him to be the gardener. Remember, the tomb is in a garden area. So thinking that the gardener was kind of there to kind of clean up the whole gardening area there where all of these uh, graves might have been and other things, making them look nice. And uh, Dennis and I work with a lot of grave diggers over at uh, Mililani, and uh, they're gardeners over there as well. We have quite a relationship with them. But uh, I sure don't suppose any of them to be Jesus, but that's another story. It says, so she... Um, Said him, sir, if they carried him away, tell me, where, where have you laid him? Maybe as the gardener, you emptied the tomb out, get it ready for the next part. I, I want to take him, I, I want him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, when you read this, it's kind of like Mary, oh, teacher, and let's go now to verse 17. I, I don't want to do that. I want you to watch what is actually happening right here. Although this is a little story event, it fits so much into the theology of Scripture. So listen very carefully. The Bible says, and we've studied this in John, those of you that have been with us, when we got to John, John 10 especially, Jesus says, and my sheep follow me because my sheep know my voice. So in all of this, at that moment, Jesus is now saying to Mary, Mary, revealing himself in such a way to now, this is who I am. Mary, pay attention. Look at me right now. Mary. And he did that often in Scripture when he would call them by name, reach out to them. He was connecting to them. He was making sure that they finally knew who he was. I'm wondering maybe at times in your own life that there was a time you didn't hear a voice and nowhere in Scripture does it say he has to do that. He did it in this case. He was alive. He's physical here. But I want you to know that you knew that you knew that you knew that that was that moment that you were placing your faith in Christ. I don't know. I could tell you a time as a 16-year-old boy after a youth meeting late in the evening when the message was given to me and Carol carefully and clearly gave me the simple plan of salvation. Something inside of me was as if God was talking to me. Have you ever experienced a time when you could say it was just as if God was talking to me? If that's happened to you, would you raise your hand? 
Okay. You might not have heard your name, but you did know his voice that he was talking to you. The next time is when, shortly actually, about a year or two later, I was uh, at a little retreat where the youth guys, leaders, took away the youth guys all day for the youth guys in a seminar, and then all the gals went with the youth leader gals to another place, and then at night we all met at a bonfire there, a hayride and bonfire, and what we were to do then was to testify what God taught us at our separate all-day-long seminars to help us to become godly men and godly women. Somewhere in the midst of that, I think I was helping with the hay thing as we were getting ready after the seminar. They didn't have the barbecue going, all this... My youth pastor came alongside of me and he said, well, Stan, tell me, what, what happened to you today? What, how did God maybe speak to you? Do you know that I paused right then? And I, 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 sometime during that day, there was this overwhelming confidence. No voice, no nothing, but there was this confidence that I knew then without any emotion that God called me into the ministry to help particularly guys, but guys and gals, to become fully obedient worshipers of God, to equip them for ministry, to help them to be standing strong for the Lord. I don't know what that was going to be like. I went to a Bible college that truly never trained me how to be a pastor. Maybe that's why I'm still learning, all right? But they did teach me this, how to know the Bible. That was as if God was saying, stand. Now, it wasn't that I was seated there wondering, I wonder about this and I wonder about that. There was no voice, but there was that ever-loving confidence. I wouldn't be a bit surprised that in some message somewhere... That God could be calling you right now as you're a believer in Christ. And you are getting that special. Yeah, I, I, we all need to live righteously. We all need to, you know, make him known, you know. Know him and make him known. We all get that. But there's that special calling that you're getting. It's still fuzzy out there. But you know that you know that you know that you know. Some of you, it may be the Lord's been calling you that today is the day that you trust Christ. And I pray you won't miss it. Let's go back to the passage. So this is Mary. And she turned, in Hebrew she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. That is her way of now recognizing this is not the gardener. This isn't even those who those two strange men were in there, the angels. She now says, teacher, Rabboni, because he was rabbi. Rabboni, teacher. She is now engaged that this happens to be the teacher, the rabbi, the one that she studied and heard from. That was her engagement with Christ. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me talk about that in a moment. When something happens in your life, how do you define what's happened in your life? Here's what I mean. Do you call it luck? That was just luck that happened in your life? I was so lucky. I was standing on the curb and the car went out of control and it missed me. Boy, was I lucky. The more you know scripture, you know so much about the sovereignty of God, about the permission and the prescription of what God does in our lives. That there's no more luck. Luck is not, you never say good luck to someone. You never say I lucky because luck is something like almost the next would be fate. It's really not. There is someone greater than you and me who is large and in charge of our lives. Maybe some of you might look at it as fate. Well, this happened to me because it always happens to me. Everything bad happens to me. If it rains soup, I'd only have a fork around me. You know, that kind of thing. You always feel like it's always bad. That's not the case. Somehow you've been made to believe that good things don't happen to you or can't happen to you. God is larger than charge. The last one that seems to be the most prevalent is this. I call it intellectual prowess. 
Somehow we feel like these things happen because we figured it out. I did it, God. Look, look what I did. I accomplished this. Instead of realizing that it's all of the Lord. So I put two thoughts down here. She recognizes the Lord. And the Lord, of course, recognizes her. And together they have this connection with one another. So I leave you with this thought that that's what's happened through the intellectual level, through the heartfelt answers, and through the emotional engagement. Rabboni, teacher. And this is so cool, the last couple verses, and we'll close with this. He said to her, stop clinging to me. Many commentators think that it was an actual physical clinging to him. Hugging him, hugging him, hugging him, not letting him go. Maybe afraid that, whoa, he's alive now and I don't want to miss him. I want to be with him. And of course there was intimacy there. I don't mean sexual and I certainly don't mean that they were ever married then or in the future. So you can throw out all that stuff. All right, clinging. It could be an emotional clinging. If you ever notice, some people are very clinging. We would call them high maintenance people. And so there's that clinging, but the Lord says, no, no, I, I want, you've got to be close. We've got all that in other passages, but I have not yet ascended to the Father. So in other words, there's still more to do. I've got work that needs to be, you've got work to do. And here's your work. He says, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend into my Father and your Father and my God and your God. You go to my brother and you say that I'm alive, basically. You go to my brother's. Now, when I'm reading all that, here's what I'm getting into this passage, and it really speaks to me in a very special way. Do you know that the first words out of the Lord's mouth after his resurrection was to a woman? Do you know that while he is giving instructions on what to do and what needs to be done, the very first commission after he is resurrected was given to a woman? And then it says, go to my brethren. Now, that's what some scripture says. Others say brothers. Now, when you read that, you might think in terms of, well, that must mean his half-brothers because he really, you know, he's God. He's, you know, half-brothers. Or uh, maybe we could, by extension, say disciples. I think that. I agree. If you look at the life of Christ and how he related to, in this, brothers, he started out by referring to them as slaves and disciples, all right? Then he moved them to friends in John Uh, John chapter 10 and 15, friends, and now he moves into brothers. So I asked myself, why did he move them from disciples to friends to now brothers? Here's what I think happened. Jesus could not be their father yet until he had died on the cross, paid for the sins, and that's when the full completion of being born again into his family could take place. Old Testament, before he completed the act, they would then look forward to Christ paying for sin. They'd do the atonement with all of the, the, the slain animals around them. But it wasn't until Jesus died and rose again was the wall broken down. And now we can have an eternal, intimate relationship with him, be a partaker of his divine nature. The spirit then, ten days later, will come inside of them. All of that's occurring. How beautiful that is. And that's now where they move from a disciple to a brother. And he says, she, he says to her, now you go tell them. And I think that's so beautiful for you and me that maybe today we intellectualize the Lord, we get all the evidences taken care of, we now have our evidences for our mind and we see that that's true. Now our heart has some questions, some emotions and all of this, but Jesus says, I'm going to touch you emotionally. I'm gonna, I know you've got questions, I'm going to be delicate with you, but again, go a little bit deeper. And then he takes them another step further and now they're that soul where he is actually now calling out to you. And now's the day for you to recognize that's him. I am trusting in Him. I am ready now to follow Him as a believer in Christ. And if that's the case, then maybe do exactly what He was telling them. 
Go tell your brothers. Go tell your sisters. Go tell your neighbors. Go tell your friends. Because once we have all of this, we can't just keep it. You've got to go tell somebody. And I pray that maybe now is the time that you will do this. Occasionally at this church, I like to end on a special day when we're so loaded with guests with a hand illustration that many of our people have seen and some even asked me to keep doing. And so let me show this to you. It's a nice illustration. You can use homeschool teachers here. Those that you teach little Bible studies around the island, use this. Even children can understand. Let my right hand represent you and me and let my wallet represent sin. The Bible says we all have sin on us. We're born with a sin nature and that causes us to sin, so we have sin on us. But the Bible says that we're separated from God now and when we die, we'll spend eternity separated from Him in a horrible place, horrible place. The Bible says to go to heaven, I have to be 100% perfect, no sin on me. If I tell one sin, I've broken the whole law. And by the way, my nature is so sinful that I could never be perfect enough to go to heaven. The Bible says no good deed I do myself. If I turn over a new leaf, do religious things like baptism and other things, that won't get me to heaven. If I do social good things like help people and feed people, that's not going to get me to heaven. No good works that I do will get rid of that sin. Now let my left hand represent God who took on flesh. This is the Jesus we're talking about now. God who died on the cross, who came back alive. Jesus, who is God, is alive forevermore. And he says, I am sinless. I love you, but I hate your sin. I hate your sin because it separates you and me. It separates you from heaven. It separates us from having that relationship. There's that wall that separates us, which is sin. There's nothing you can do to get rid of that sin except death. And when you do, you'll spend eternity in a state of dying because death pays for sin. And you'll never get that paid for. So Jesus says, what I'm going to do in an instant is take all your sin, past, present, and future, bigger little sins, die on a cross, rise again from the dead, and all you need to do now is to receive me as your Savior by placing your faith in me alone. And when you believe that I am the Lord who died on that cross and I paid your sin debt and you're trusted in me for the full forgiveness of sin, you then will have eternal life forevermore. And you can say, Rabboni, teacher, Savior and Lord, and by placing your faith in Him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. And once you have that, I remember that night that I trusted Christ. I went home quickly, and when I got home, the very first person I tried to lead to Christ was my dad. I did a horrible job, didn't know what I was doing, but my heart was exploding with, I know something, I'm going to heaven, and I know dad never talked about it, so he's probably not, and I want my dad in heaven. So I never heard the voice of the Lord says, go tell your daddy. But I knew that that's what I needed to do. Go tell my daddy. He has now since trusted Christ and praise God he's in heaven today. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. <clears throat> well, we had some evidences today. We heard some heartfelt emotions sorting all through to understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord, confusion, doubts, hopelessness. And then at the end, there was that engagement on a relationship where that the soul was coming alive and spirit was there and all this was connecting to Christ. And my dear friend, I believe that the Lord brought you here today specifically again to hear this message. It's a defining message for you. Now, will you be one that 
you kind of got it. You saw it. It was kind of a glance. You glanced through it, endured 45 minutes, and then go on. I understand. Or some of you still sorting it all out, theorizing all this, trying to figure it all out. What about this? And what about that? And waiting for all the dots to be connected. And yes, I'm sure that there is more that can be done to help you connect those dots. So keep studying. But no one knows when our last breath will be taken. So please know you'll never have all your answers. I trusted Christ at 16. I had more answers at 17 than I did at 16. I had more answers when I was 27 and 37 and 47 and 57 than I had. I'm 64 now. I still have questions. And I'll have more next year, answers next year. But that hasn't caused my faith to shake. Would you place your faith in Christ? Simply say this, Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I am, I am lost. But I want to be in your forever family. I, I need the full forgiveness of sin. And I do believe that Jesus Christ is alive. I don't understand everything about but I know that you're alive. There's enough proof that satisfies me. And so right now, I am trusting you because you died on that cross to make the payment for our sin, to give to me eternal life. And God the Father was satisfied with that. And so it's all done and completed. And it's just all wrapped up and it's being handed to me. And so, Lord, I'm receiving you as the gift of God, eternal life, because I'm placing my faith in you. And I'm saying thank you. I'm saying thank you that it was that moment when I stepped over the line in faith and you are now my Savior. Would there be anyone that is ready to, to do that engagement with the Lord. Now let me tell you, you don't stand up, you don't fill out a card, you don't have to walk an aisle. I'd like to pray for you, but no, my prayer won't get you into heaven. No, nothing human, you or anybody else on planet Earth can do to get you into heaven. That's the thing between you and the Lord. But if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you made that mental transaction, so to speak, of your faith in Christ, that's the Lord doing it all with you right then. I'd like to pray for you. I want to rejoice with you. I would hope that you would kindly let me know that you did that today. And you can do it without anyone looking around if you just slip up your hand in a moment. When you do, I'm going to close with, a, with you in my prayer. I won't describe you in my prayer. I won't embarrass you. But I'm just going to thank the Lord that you're in God's forever family because you trusted Christ. Would you do me that honor and let me know if you trusted Christ as Savior? So with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if today's the day that you called upon the Lord to be your Savior, you believed in Him as the Lord who died and rose again for you and you're trusting in Him, would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone that's doing that today, never done it before? You do it once and today's the one and final time. You'd like me to pray for you. Just slip up your hand real high. Let me see. Is there anyone at all? Real high. Put it up. Okay, Christians. I think you heard some today that would help you as you engage your family and friends, especially at your activities this afternoon or maybe this week or this summer. But reach out. And just like Jesus said, go tell my brothers. Go tell them what's happened. Raise their faith level because you've seen truth now. Well, maybe your brothers are lost and they need to be a, a brother in Christ. Tell them about Christ. Maybe your friends need to have a strengthening of their faith. Well, you now, you bring to, to them what you now know and you begin to teach, whether it's a formal class or whether it's just informal sharing, but you take what you've learned and you've shared that with someone else. You go tell someone. You strengthen their faith. You help them understand truth. 
And remember, it's not an empty tomb that we want to see. It's the risen Savior that we see. So it's all about Jesus. How many of you would like to have prayer? Because today, just one more time, reminded you that the Lord does have a mission in life for you. And you want to confidently step out in faith and fulfill that mission and tell them about Christ. Would you like to have prayer? Would you slip up your hand? Anyone at all? Amen. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I thank you that you have orchestrated this event of your resurrection and your revelation of your resurrection to these people, so many of them, different places on the planet, over a period of time, even since your ascension, to show that you are alive and that you are who you claim to be. And so, Father, therefore, we have to give an account of what we believe and will do because of it. Help us, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,